You know what? When I hear Uriel's story, uh, just hearing about how God has brought him along and his family, sometimes on a Sunday morning we, we see each other's faces, but we don't see the history that's uh, often behind us and how we often, um, yeah, just make perceptions of one another. Uh, we just have, like in common sense, how are you doing? Okay. <laughs> but the reality is I'm not. Like we often t- make assumptions and uh, it's so good to hear how God is working in our own lives personally and it is good for the church to rejoice that uh, God would bring us to know his son Jesus Christ. And when he comes in, when Paul comes to this conclusion after 11 chapters, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. I don't know if you realize it, but it's been now a year since we first started the letter of Romans. We've taken, yeah, sure, a few breaks, but for the most poor part, we've tried to walk through this faithfully. Um, for some reason, I felt like as a church, it was important for us to consider the doctrinal aspect of our faith. And so a year ago, we started this journey. And I guess one of the reasons why I really wanted to go through Romans with you guys is that eight years into this, I was hoping that in this season, we could become established in our faith. In fact, this is why Paul writes it. In Romans 16, 25, he writes, Now to him who is able to establish you, to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. God cares about how we think. So cautiously, I think we fail to realize that uh, When we come to know Christ, it's on the basis of knowledge of who God is and what he's doing. And we are growing into a season, and I fear the days in which those with even in the people of God are not willing to endure sound doctrine. I mean, that's, we've been a year going through this. But I think it was well worth it to be established for the sake of this. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.1 Paul writes to the Corinth church the same thing. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And so with all that said, my hope and my aim this morning is straightforward. We need a review. After one year considering the doctrines of Christ as it relates to the gospel, I want to remind ourselves what God has taught us through his word over the last year and ask the simple question for you and for I. Are we, as servants of Christ, capable of stewarding the mysteries of God where God might send us? And this would apply to you, husbands. This would apply to you, wives. This would apply to you as Mothers and fathers, this would apply to you for those who you interact with on a daily basis. For God has established you as his messengers into a world that is perverted. For those who are far from him and the ambassadors which he has saved, he has called those to go out into the world anticipating the opportunity to steward his gospel in such a way so that when those who hear it might hear of the grace God is providing them. And the question I have for us, after a year, are we there? Or if we're not there, where do we need to grow in 
applying ourselves to understand the word of God accurately so that when your son or your daughter comes to ask you of these things that you're ready. Um, How awful it would be. If you ever go to the website Open Doors, you will read about a people around the world that even if given the opportunity, do not have the opportunity to go find a Christian who could clearly communicate the gospel to them if they so desired. How awful it would be in the midst of the generous opportunities God has placed with even America that his own people would not be equipped, established, to proclaim the gospel confidently as the steward of God. And so Paul comes to this grand realization of the power of the gospel and its impact for the entire world. And he rejoices with this reality. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. God cares that you know what he's doing. And so often I find it tempted to believe in my own self. Let's get to the practical stuff. Show me how this impacts me on a day-to-day basis how I treat my wife or treat those around me. Please just let me, just just tell me what to do. Paul doesn't labor for 11 chapters just to tell you what to do. No, he labors for 11 chapters because he believes that God cares about how you think. And on the basis of how you think, you're gonna notice next week the, the tension of or the emphasis of what Paul is communicating flips in itself and then it becomes very practical and how he uses this information and how we ought to use it in our life with one another and the world around us. But before we go there, I want to rightly understand what we ought to know. And so with that said, I have four things. I think we could summarize this far what Paul has labored to to give us to understand because I do believe that God cares how we think and as the people of God, we must know these things. One, he spends three chapters on this. All are depraved. And if you were to remember with me through chapters 1 to two, chapters 3, Paul has labored to remind the church in Rome, all are depraved, all are under sin. And this is why he wants to preach the gospel to all. And this is why he says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek He doesn't want to hesitate because he sees that it's available for all. He emphasizes his responsibility to proclaim the gospel not just to a Jewish audience, but also to the Greek audience, which would include ourselves. But he quickly wants to remind us that when those who are established in the doctrines of, of Christ, who endure sound doctrine, they are moved to this realization that those who do not respond to the gospel will endure the wrath of God. And so when the gospel is preached to the world, the world is reminded of their position before God that Paul writes in Romans 1, 18-19. For when the gospel is preached, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They're made aware of their realization of where they stand between God and, and the result of why there's a disunity between God and us. Because God has put within us that which is known about God is evident with them, within them. For God made it evident to them. All are depraved. Why? Because all humanity has been given the right standard of how to live life within. 
Yet humanity is depraved in that they reject the right standard of God and live willfully in rebellion to this standard. And every day, just as you do and I do, we walk outside in Romans 1, 20 through 21. We see the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature and have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though, we see this, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. One of the reasons that the church must be reminded of these things about the gospel is we're not starting at ground zero. Every day when somebody goes outside their house and looks at creation, they are reminded there's a God. And we ought not be hesitant to say within the gospel when it is preached, they're reminded if they do not reconcile this relationship with God, there will be wrath for them. But humanity, like the Gentile, has always done. We've suppressed this reality by participating in acts of unrighteousness. See, that element alone, God cares how you think. Because if God cares about how you think, he would not say this thing. And then the reality is when God reveals this thing, this is the thing that which saves and reminds humanity around us. If they do nothing, they will still stand in rebellion. And humanity has done this historically in Romans 1, 22 through 23. We respond, professing to be wise, we become the fool, exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Again, in professing to be wise, and become, we have become the fool, Romans 1, 25, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. We are not like, I think, in most traditions where we see a tree and in the form by which we want to reject God, cut the tree down to form an idol. That's not what we do in the Western culture. Rather, what we do is we elevate ourselves. I'm God. I get to determine what's right and wrong. And even though we know within us, as the creation testifies regularly, God has made it evident within us that we're not God, yet we still live like it. And Paul is trying to remind us he wants the people, because God cares how we think, all are depraved, and all do this. Professing to be wise, we become the fool. We ourselves witness the sovereignty of God's hand in all things, and we suppress that truth. And therefore, God's response has always been this. He's given, given us over to our lusts. In Romans chapter 1, he revealed these things to our degrading passions, to our de- Praved minds. Lawlessness increases every day. You can see it. We're pretty good at it. We're pretty creative. As Paul says in Romans 1, we find new ways, if we're bored, to create more evil and wickedness within the world. And not only that, Romans 1.32, although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Not only do they do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice such things. When it comes to the depravity of humanity, do you think God cares how we think? You do you. You be you. These things are promoted everywhere. 
you're okay the way you are just because you feel this way, it's been, this is how God has designed you. No, there is a deep rebellion within all of us and that we know the standard of God and the standard of God we willfully rebel against daily even in light of creation which testifies to us every day these things are true that we suppress. We don't start at ground zero. The church doesn't have to make people aware of the reality because creation is already breached. It's good that we know these things for God cares how we think. And so when we say, Jesus died for your sins. It makes sense. It ought to make sense for they fight it every day. Paul would have wrote this section and the Jews would have loved it because clearly he's talking about the Gentile, the Jew, man, of all people groups, they're the most privileged position. They had the oracles of God. They were preserved and even created by God himself. Through the barren woman of Sarah, he gave life to a 90-year-old woman's barren womb. And through that womb, he created a nation, protected and preserved them even under the oppression of Egypt, gave them the very word of God, even dwelt among them in the tabernacle. I was trying to wonder where you were going, Adam. But they were of all peoples. The Gentiles didn't have that. While Gentiles had the proclamation of all humanity or all creation preaching regularly to them, the Jews actually got to see the presence of God and could approach him fearfully. And you would think that the Jew then, because of God's interaction, was saved. Paul cares how we think on these matters. And he condemns the Jew. Just because God has made gracious attempts towards you, you have boasted in the law, Romans 2, 23 through 24. You boast in the law, and though you, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God. Because of your disobedience, this is Jacob paraphrased, verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Jews who know, knew God had his oracles, had the proclamation just like the Gentiles of creation that there is a God and you suppress the truth and the law of God which they could read regularly by their disobedience became the fuel of the Gentiles by their disobedience which caused them to blaspheme. And the Jew themselves thought they were without excuse. By the time you get to Romans chapter three, Paul cares how we think. He wants the church to understand that God cares how we think. That he writes in Romans 3, 9. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have all charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That nine-month baby you have in your room or your house or that grandchild who's the best possession of all the world, right? Where are they at? God cares how you think. You might think that you have an advantage above all others. You're pretty good if you were to compare yourself to others. The scriptures have declared all under sin. And as a result of being under sin, you stand in the position of God being just and giving to you your due. God cares how you think. And this is the position of every man comes into the world. And this is why Romans 3.10 declares our pitiful state. There is none righteous. Not even one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. I could hear the critic. Yes, I do. According to your own image. You cut down the tree to make an image for yourself. You make yourself the image to worship, denying the truth that God has made evident within you. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none, none who does good. There is not even one. So when you come to the conclusion after the first part of Romans, there is this clear estimation that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God cares how you think. One of the reasons why we wanted to go over this for this last year is because we want our people to be established. And there should not be after a year going through this, this, this scripture, because you'll find it elsewhere, the world desperately needs to understand their position before a holy God. And when the gospel is preached, they realize there is no human effort that can restore that, 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 that relationship between us and God. We're not better than they. It's so easy as we'll go on to see that we could take that position of grace and be arrogant with it. But clearly, the church should know we're all under sin. We're all depraved. But praise God, that's the bad news. And that there is good news. Because this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of God because he can take the depraved, the depraved mind who is purposely, willfully, willfully, pursuing sin, he can change that heart to one who can pursue Christ and honor him. And so that all are saved by faith in Christ Jesus alone. And so it was now at the right time, Romans 3.21, we come to realize this truth, the power of the gospel. Now apart from the law, Jew, the righteousness of God has been manifested. God became man. Bearing witness by the law and the prophets. Oh man, when he taught, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were amazed. The crowds could not understand how one could have so much wisdom. His sermons are still recorded for us today and we marvel at them. The law and the prophets manifested this one who came was God, is God, and has the power of God. And even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. Who will satisfy your wrath? Does God care how you think? Propitiation is God's wrath satisfied in Christ Jesus, by which you believe by faith that God has atoned for you in his Son through his blood. By faith, and the result of that faith is eternal life. God cares how you leave. God cares how you think. This is why I like hearing stories within in your own lives, Uriel, and I could say others. When you realize you've been taught, it's by merit. It's not just the church that's been tempted with this, it's been the world that's been tempted by this. That if we just live rightly enough, if we just tip the scale just enough, God will find favor in us. No, all are under sin. All are depraved. All have the just wrath due them. But by God's grace, through one, by faith, Christ can save those who hope in him. And this is not just one hit wonder that God now just instituted in creation at the time of Christ. This is how it's always been, by faith. Remember Abraham? How was he saved? 
This is what we remember in Romans chapter 4. We're just walking back through this. We need to know these things. The world doesn't care how it thinks. Look how it moves back and forth. It has no place to stand, but the church should know what it believes. It's always been this way. The man is saved by faith. Abraham was given a promise, and his response to that promise was faith. And the scriptures say, what did they say, Romans 4, 3? Abraham believed, and God credited to him as righteousness. This is what saves. There should be no confusion within the church. And how often we see how people malign this wonderful promise of the gospel. How they fight against it, they push against it. I've had students in my class who have been told, that have told me, unless you get circumcised, unless you get baptized this way, unless you speak and profess and another work of grace, speaking in tongues, you'll be saved. That's within our churches. God cares how we think. It's always been by faith. So then when your son or your daughter, your wife or your spouse, your husband come to you, what must I do to be saved? Will you be equipped as a steward of God with the mysteries of God to say only by faith in Christ Jesus who is the atonement for your sin, who satisfied the wrath of God due to you? And you're not the first to proclaim it because they've seen the sunrise or the sunset the night before. Abraham, he heard this promise. Romans 4, 18 through 22. And in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which he had been spoken. So shall your descendants be and we have become as a result of responding in faith like him. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own but. Body, excuse me. Now, as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, the death, deadness of Sarah's womb, and yet with respect to the promises of God, the power of God, he is able to fulfill his promises. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew in strength in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform it, he was able to do it, and therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. God cares how we think. If God promises, if you trust in my one and only beloved son, that he satisfies your wrath, he atones for it, and those who respond in faith, you trust in him, you will be saved. You do not respond to that in merit, you respond to that in faith. God cares how we think. But those things that were written long ago were not written for Abraham's sake, those things were written for our sake. Romans 4, 23 through 25. Now for this, for not, now those things were not, excuse me, now not for his sake only were written, that it was credited to him, but for our sake, to whom it was credited, as those who believed in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, those who whom believed, he also delivered over because of our transgression, was raised because of our justification. Through faith and faith alone, we are justified. Romans 5.1. There have been justified by faith. Here is now our position in Christ. Rebels. Depraved. By faith in the work of Christ alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have attained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, which we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Let there not be any confusion. 
Let there not be any confusion how man is saved. Let us not be confused to what is the state of man when he comes into this world depraved. Let us not be confused of what is the only thing, the only one who might serve, save him. Romans 5, 6, just so that we might be clarified. For while we were still helpless, unable to do anything to right the wrong, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And God in that position, 5, 8, demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm throwing, I know, I know. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. God cares how you think. And where do we find out how God thinks? I'm told that we can't even read a newsletter anymore. We read the, the bullet point at the top or the, the title. I'm not the only one guilty of that. How dangerous would that be if that was the practice of those of the beloved? We would be weak and unestablished for we, know, we ought to know what God has done for us. And so for a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation once and for all done. God cares how we think. He cares that we recognize that we are all depraved too. He recognizes how we are saved and how we continue to grow in his likeness. So he continues in Romans 6. Now that you've been saved out of sin, you ought to respond in likeness to become united with him. And this is the practice of the church. This is why we need one another. This is why we encourage one another to pursue Christ together. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, whether we're Jew or Greek, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing that this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, the way that we used to live and suppress the truth, might be done away with. So that we will no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. God saved us. And from the practice of regularly and purposely suppressing the truth with unrighteousness, through Christ, united with Christ, we ought to consider ourselves, Romans six eleven dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. And this is why we can encourage each other graciously. You're running the wrong way. You're suppressing the truth. We hold each other accountable in Christ, for there is another way that we live. There is no sin so powerful that will overcome you. And that the Holy Spirit now has been granted to you, you can flee from sin. Don't try to fight it, for it will master you, but run from it. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6, 22, we have been freed from sin. Enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. Because we know for all who are under sin, the wages of sin is death. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are united in him, eternal life.
And these things, these things have been given to us, the church, to know. Oh, I plead with you, don't leave theology in the pulpit. Even worse, don't leave theology just to merely remain here. It must guard your hearts. It must be known and realized. It must be practiced. How intimidating it would be to have someone come before you and say, what I must do, what must I do to be saved and you be found unready? God cares how we think. I remember when I was at uh, New Life, and I spent a couple weeks, that was probably a month, writing a curriculum to uh, get our, uh, encourage people to evangelize in their neighborhood, neighborhoods. And I don't think this illustration is just specific to this situation. I think this is a problem within churches. And uh, the hope was is to find opportunities to evangelize. And so after three months, gather the teams back together and see how many times we evangelize. And I realized I had jumped way ahead. We had not discipled our people how to proclaim the gospel. We're really good at getting to know one another. All of us love to fish, some of us. Um, Some of us like good fishing. Some of us just like to be on the water. Some of us like to golf. But we're really good at building relationships, going on walks, looking at birds. Uh, well, I don't know. We're really good at doing things together, but we're, we're finding ourselves as a result of not enduring sound doctrine that when it comes the time to bridge the conversation, to speak it. I would encourage you to learn Romans 3.23. For the wages, no, excuse me, for wages, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Learn these two verses and you're at the front end of the gospel. And as a result of this and the realization of where we're at in Christ, where they're in light and the reconciliation that's necessary, you can teach, you can say, Romans 5.8, God demonstrated your love, his, his love towards you. And that while in this position, as a sinner, Christ died for you. And the means by which you respond to this salvation is by faith, repentant belief. I pray that you, if you have not made that confession of faith, that would do it today. For if the Lord would not be patient any longer, that will be the end. And you would be the object of his wrath. And we do not know how long God gives us. But for those of you who know this to be truth, who have been baptized in these things, I would remind you to remember these things ready. Be the steward, faithful steward of the gospel. So one, yes, we all, I think Paul has stressed long enough, all are to pray. Two, we're saved by faith. And in light of that faith, we're unified with Christ to be like Christ and proclaim Christ and to grow in Christ together. But he doesn't stop there. I think in some ways we could acknowledge that he could have gone from Romans chapter 6 to Romans chapter 12. Let's get to the good stuff. Tell me how to live. But he wants the church to understand how to use the law. And it's still to this day, we still struggle with it. Because we recognize, as Paul has already said, and he will say, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. 
1 Timothy 1.8, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. There's a proper sense in which it must be used. And so he's taught us already in Romans 3.20, because of the works of the law, the law was inaugurated within humanity so that no flesh will be justified by it. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, just as creation proclaims daily that we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. The law in written form reminded the Jew of the reality that we are all sinners. But because we are saved by Christ and entered in a right relationship, the relationship that we have once with the law has now passed and now takes a new position. But there are those still to this day and then who wanted to use the law in their fellowship and practice. God cares how we think about the law. He desperately wants us to use it rightly. And so he teaches, if you want to use the law within your fellowship, this is what it's going to do. Romans 10 through 11. This commandment says, do not covenant. This commandment, you shall not covenant, which was the result in life, proved to result in me death. Verse 11, for sin taken an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, it killed me. Paul says, this is not the basis by which you establish a community of grace. For its end result, Romans 7, 24, will lead wretched men that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. We use the law lawfully. The law was inaugurated by God as a grace to humanity, to the Jewish society to remind them we're sinners, we're depraved. And to use that within the Christian fellowship and practice is not helpful. For now, not under the law or under sin anymore, are we? We're under grace. And so we know for what the law could not do, Romans 3 through 4, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh, and as an, under, as an offering for sin, he condemned our sin in the flesh of Christ so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And if Christ is in you, Romans ten eleven, through the body it is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The law reminded of your sin. Daily it told you how wicked you were and depraved you were. Why would you church Christian God cares how we think not to put ourselves back under it. We're in Christ, under Christ. God cares how we think. And so Paul reveals to us in Romans 8 for who we are. We're not depraved. We're not under law. We are led by the Spirit of God. Sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. The law did. Leading to fear again. Did I do enough today to win God's favor? Like, why is this so important? Like, we know of religious traditions that work by the law. They look religious. But the scriptures has told us what they feel every day. Fear. What will you give them the hour when they ask, who will save me from this fear? Because I know the righteousness of God. I know the standard of God. And I know the law requires me and I cannot reach a wretched man that I am. What will you say? By the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone, I have been received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What a different position that is. And so while we recognize, as Paul has taught us, all are depraved, all are saved by faith, Paul wants to remind us what the law was for. It was in place to show humanity their sin and lead them to the position, wretched man that I am. And still to this day, millions upon millions live under it. We have the greatest truth to proclaim, the hope that is realized in Christ. The work of the law has been fulfilled in Christ on your behalf if you respond in faith. And not only that, Paul concluded, as we, wrote, we spent the last two months, and I remind you with and I leave you with, is the sovereignty of God in all things. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We have come to wrestle through the sovereignty of God and that we recognize as Paul wants the church to realize not only the depravity that they once had, the faith that they now enjoy in Christ, the position that they have in the law, Paul doesn't want the church to be unaware of what God is doing between the Jews and the Gentiles. Sure enough, many Jews still to this day do not believe their Messiah. And they still hope in the law might save them. They have trusted in the righteousness, not the righteousness of God, which is Christ Jesus. And so in Romans eleven twenty eight, from our standpoint, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for our sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. And at the present time, God has chosen to exercise his sovereignty to harden the hearts of the Jews so that many Gentiles might believe. For we know that God has the right to have mercy on whom he has mercy, Romans 9, 15 through 16. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And to our amazement, as Paul is going to rejoice about here in a moment, those who were not his own, Gentiles, he has made his own, Romans 9, 25 through 26. I will call those who were not my people, my people, and, heir, and her who was not my beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Gentiles, you have been saved by the gracious mercy of God. And even though many Jews have not responded to the gospel because God has chosen to harden their hearts, Romans 11, 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to not see, excuse me, eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. The Jews remember that God raised up a Gentile Egyptian Pharaoh and used him and raised him up to demonstrate his power to be a blessing to the Jews. The Jews, in light of that salvation, that they were the most privileged people of all of the creation, which they were, and then they had the oracles of God, this, the presence of God dwell among them, became boastful in their position. God now has raised them up like he has done Pharaoh to save and be merciful to the Gentiles. And as we have learned last week, there is a time 
in which all Israel will be saved. And the purpose of all this is we've come to realize that God has sovereignly worked out all things so that he could be gracious, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, and sum up everything under disobedience. Verse 32, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercies to all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. God cares how you think. And as a result of that understanding, it led Paul to worship. He hadn't done anything. Like theology produces a heart of worship. And after the theology of of who we know about God and what he's done for us, then we get to the practical stuff. We're not an ignorant people. I imagine... What I've done for the last 30 minutes, I lost some of you, sidetracked some of you. But the point is, is that God wants you to know these things and to enjoy these things and to grow in these things. I don't know when the next time we're gonna go through this section again. It may be 10 years. But we as a people must be established in these things and that you go back and go read it and grow in these things. For when you do, then we're ready for Romans 12. For it will be tempting as we read, do not be devoted to one another to enforce law again. When it says be devoted in prayer, to establish how often in prayer and make it legalistic, we ought to become a people who recognize what we have inherited in Christ because God cares about how we think. So I would like to conclude with this. My request was simple. Are we as a people who have gone through Romans 1 through 11 better off to be servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God? 1 Corinthians 4.1. Let a man regard us in the manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. God has not revealed these things to us to leave it in the pulpit or to merely leave it on the pages of Scripture. I have been encouraged to know that many of you regularly participate in reading the scriptures. And when you go to your small group, you delight in talking about these things. I genuinely believe we demonstrate what we believe. And if we don't believe what we can't demonstrate, then we just don't know it. We can only demonstrate that which we, I think, genuinely can articulate. And if we're able to articulate anything, it must be the gospel. And finally, when we are able to articulate, I pray that as a people we can demonstrate it in action. And so that when we get to Romans 12, we recognize that we are to be regarded to the world in front of us as servants of Christ, capable and able to respond to the mysteries of God as they make request. So those are four things. If you were to walk away and say, I understand and I see those things, Romans has taught us that all are depraved. Two, God desires to recognize that all humanity receive their need for a savior that is only received by faith. Three, that as the church, we recognize what the law is for, that anyone who lives it comes to the position of fear and says, wretched man that I am. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, freedom, sons of God, heirs of Christ. Four, that we are a people who trust in the sovereign work of God, who is in control of all things, even the hearts of men. 
And I pray that we as a people can walk in these things, enjoy these things, and as we know these things, demonstrate these things to whomever God might send us, whether that be a husband, a wife, a coworker, a child, that we can say these things faithfully to them. Would you pray with me? Lord, Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord who became his counselor? Who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him? You have given to us salvation. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If we were to write out salvation, we have, would not have been written it out this way. But you have demonstrated your love towards us. We are not gracious to our enemies, but you are. You have shown us wisdom, and you have shown us your sovereignty, and the knowledge of God that you are the one who has the right to call whomever you desire to yourself, whether it be the Jew or to the Gentile. Lord, I pray that there anyone might be here this morning who has come to realize that they are a sinner, and if they do not respond in repentance, there is wrath. And Lord, I pray that you would lead them to faith this morning that their only hope in this life, in this present life, they can see creation proclaim that, that there is a God and that they have willfully suppressed that truth and unrighteousness, that they would repent and trust in the only means by which could save them, Christ Jesus. And Lord, that they would come to rest in the sovereignty of God, that, they can, that you and you alone can cause all things in their life to be used for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.